As promised last week, we're going to take another look into the issue of Midrash Esther. We're going to look at it from a different perspective, something new we haven't done before. Um, and that is the relationship between Megillat Esther and Sefer Bereshit, as, as kind of demonstrated in a few of the many examples from the Midrashim, both Midrash on Bereshit and Midrash on Esther, that connect the two. So I'd like to start with this statement in Masachet Yoma, as you, as you're probably familiar, um, Perak Chafbet of Tehillim is ascribed by Chazal in several places, uh, in the Gemara and Megillah, in Midrash Tehillim, to Esther. Lamatzeach al Ayelet Hashachar, the David and Ayelet Hashachar is, um, is understood to be Esther, a reference to Esther, a reference to the story of Esther. Uh, Chazal, for instance, um, uh, identify the fact that she, in the middle of it says, or the author in the middle of it says, save me from the dog. And in the next pasuk says, save me from the lion, something of that, that effect, that Esther had gone into the king and the Shekhinah had left her. She said, maybe it's because I referred to the king as a dog. So she refers to him as a lion, and the Shekhinah comes back. So there's all of these uh, associations with that parak, Ayelat HaShachar, and indeed there's some of uh, Esther's physical attributes are associated with an Ayala. Uh, and in that same passage in the Gemara, in Yom HaChavtet, uh, that mentions the association with an Ayala, it says the following, Amarasi, Lamanim Shela Esther LaShachar. Why is Esther referred to as Shachar? Shachar, of course, is very, very early morning, and therefore Ayelat HaShachar is a poetic way of referring to Amura Shachar, the moment of dawn. Lomar lecha ma Shachar sof kol alayla afester sof kol anisim. Just like Shachar is the end of the night, similarly Esther is the end of Nisim. Now this is an odd kind of uh, of analogy, uh, because we think of nighttime as a time of Galut, a time of Separation from the Shekhinah and, uh, and, uh, Nisim, of course, is being very much the opposite. But nonetheless, uh, Chazal look at Esther and seem to be making a statement, not just about the book, but about, and about the period, but also about the book, uh, and about its place within, in a very large sense, uh, history. Um, and that is that they look at Esther as being sort of the end of that era, which starts at our birth, that era of divine immanence, of feeling God's presence and manifest in a very obvious way, uh, which of course is clear in Breshit, it's clear throughout Chumash, it's clear in Sefer Yoshua, it's clear in Sefer Shoftim, it becomes a little less clear in Shoftim and Malachim, but it's still very much there. And we have prophets galore always understand what we see as being uh, in the way that it's connected to God and Tashkacha, etc. And, of course, as time goes by, once we get to the second type of period, we see a, a greater diminution of that sense of the immanence of God. Uh, and there is a lot more manifestation of Malachim, who are there to sort of interpret what's going on. For instance, the Malach Hadoverbi, who helps Zechariah understand his visions. And Esther is right at that period, at the beginning of Bayit Sheni. Esther is around the same time as the last Navi, which is Malachi. 
And so Esther represents the end of that particular period um, of uh, of divine presence manifest and felt. And of course, by the time we get to Esther, it's hidden, but it's still very much there. And afterwards, we enter a different era. Uh, when we uh, when we enter an era of the Hashmonaim, and then an era of the Chachamim, and then on to the post-millennial times, we have a very different relationship with Chochmah, with Torah. Torah is no longer prophetically given, but it's humanly reasoned out. And we have a different attitude, even if you look at the Maccabim, towards uh, how we fight our battles. But I think that Chazal took this notion of Esther Sofkol Anisim, also in a in a in the midrashic sense as tying the very beginnings of our history to the very end of this part of history together not just to create literary bookends and something kind of neat package tied up but also to see sort of tov acharit davar shito meaning not the simple shot of that pasuk which is of uh, the end is better than the beginning but rather when the end is informed by the beginning, it becomes more powerful. And to see in Breshit all sorts of allusions, Dafka to Megillat Esther. I'd like to give a few examples, but I want to start with the last one. Because at the very end of Sefer Breshit, as you recall, Yaakov calls his sons together and gives them brachot, which are, in some cases, not exactly brachot, they're more like a mishaberach, but they are assignments and tasks descriptions of the nature of that particular tribe. And if you recall, four of them, five of them, are described as animals. Yisachar Chamorgarim, Naftali Ayalash Tuchad, Dan is an Achash. But two of the ferocious ones here are Yehuda, Gur Aryeh, the lion, and Binyamin, Ze'ev Yitraf. And Binyamin, by the way, is at the very end of the list. Now, you might think that Benjamin's at the end of the list because the list goes in order of birth, Ruvain, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, but between Yehuda and Yosef, it's, it's not consistent. So you could argue that Benjamin's at the end because Benjamin's the youngest. Benjamin may also be at the end because Yaakov intends to point something with Benjamin towards the end of this period that he's envisioning. And the bracha he gives to Benjamin is Benjamin's Avitraf which can be read two ways. It can either mean Binyamin is a wolf that um, that devours or that traps its its uh, prey, or it could be that Binyamin will trap the wolf. Both of them play out in the Midrash. So he will eat uh, in the morning, and at night he will uh, share his, uh, his loot. In other words, he's the wolf, that uh, the predator, that uh, prays and then uh, shares his his the loot of what he's uh, preyed on and and the bounty. Now, watch the midrash here in Esther Rabbah. Interesting. That Yaakov alluded to Mordechai and the story of, of Purim in the bracha given to the Shvatim. Right, this is referring to Shaul, who's the beginning of Malachim. Now, this, by the way, plays Shaul up to be a great hero 
for the way he behaved with Amalek, whereas, as we know, that was his downfall. What will happen at the in the evening, in the morning? That's Shaul, right? So that Shaul was Bokran Shal Yisrael. He was their mourning, right, of Yisrael, because he was the first of the kings so in the very early parts. And at the evening, which is at the end, that's Mordechai, the Esther, who were also from Binyamin. They're the ones who stood by in our exile through Domela Erev, which is like evening. In other words, we're now playing again with the day-night motif that we saw in that first statement of Chazal. But here, it's not that Esther is the end of the night, but Esther is the beginning of the night. And that Esther, meaning the story of Esther and the events of Purim, are the beginning of the exile. And even in that time, Binyamin is the one who gives out the loot, who's, who, who prays on our behalf. Prays, P-R-E-Y. And what did they do? They took Haman's goods and they divided them up. Indeed, what happened to Haman after he was killed? Ahasuerus handed all of his property over to Esther, who then handed it over to Mordechai. And now, and the Midrash here makes a, a fantastical statement. It says that the rulers of Madai Pras, remember in the Midrash, Haman's not our only enemy, so is Achash And the rulers of Madai Paras are compared to a Ze'ev, to a wolf. Now, this is from Daniel chapter 11 where we have this crazy vision of Daniel with the four wild beasts, and each one of them midrashically represents, and not just midrashically, represents one of the evil kingdoms that, that we're going to, under whom we're going to suffer. And they read Dov here as Ze'ev. The Dalad and Zion interchanging, uh, which we're familiar with Dalad in Aramaic. Taman Amrin, Elum Kedov. So in, in Bavel, this is the Midrash says, in Bavel, they describe this as a bear, Dov. These are the Persians. They eat and drink like a bear, and they never rest like a bear. And here in Eretz Israel, we read Dov as Ze'ev. But the point is that this enemy, uh, we're calling a Ze'ev, that's Aman, Hamid HaKadosh Baruch Hu Kenegdan Mordechai Ve'ester Shayu V'Shevet Binyamin. HaKadosh Baruch Hu set up Mordechai and Esther to be the counterpoint, to be the ones to be victorious and save us from the other Zev. And remember I said that this Pasu can be read both ways. Binyamin Zev Yitraf, Binyamin is the wolf that devours, or Binyamin is going to devour a wolf. The Midrash plays it both ways. Binyamin is the wolf that devours the wolf. And the wolf is our enemies. Now, the play on the words itself, that's one thing. But what seems pretty clear is that Chazal are establishing that at the very beginning of our national existence, because when Yaakov is on his deathbed with his sons around him, and they already have multiple generations of kids, we've now gone from a small family to a large tribe that's developing into a nation. And a nation that now is going to have Different members of different tribes serve different purposes in their in the national existence, Yehuda, etc., and Yosef. 
everybody's going to serve their purpose, that he's giving Binyamin a purpose. And Binyamin's purpose is going to be at the end of this period to be the one to defend uh, against the Zev, and that is Haman. So now we look back through Sefer Breshit, we will find several linguistic connections between Breshit and Esther, which Chazal pick up on in the Midrash. One example, and it and it's an example that that uh, really it's the it's the only two places in Tanakh where this word shows up. When when Yosef is sitting on his throne, still not revealed to his brothers, the brothers come and they bring. This is the second visit. They bring Binyamin, and ya- and Yosef says, Verse two, is this that young brother you told me about? And I guess they say, yes, God should have grace on you. He gives him a bracha. Now Yosef has to hurry up because he's sitting in front of them. He suddenly is filled with compassion for Binyamin. He wants to cry. So he goes into his private room and he weeps there. So he has to quickly get out so they don't see him weeping because he's still playing possum. Now he washes his face and he comes out. So I think he went to the bathroom, whatever. He restrains himself. Restrains himself meaning emotionally because he wants to have an outburst of, of compassion and crying, but he holds it in because that's not part of his plan. And he says, put the food down, right? And we're going to have the food. <coughs> This word, Vayit Apak, is a word that only shows up one other place in Tanakh, and it shows up in Megillah Esther. It's sort of a reverse form. When Haman is at the first party, the first feast given for Ahasuerus and Haman alone, and uh, and at that party he finds out that there's yet another feast in his honor the next night. Uh, he walks out of the party feeling very good. Mordechai doesn't bow, doesn't move, doesn't nothing. He becomes filled with rage. If a man is to act on his rage, he realizes he's going to blow his plan. Because in the meantime, he wants it to appear that the decree comes from Achashverosh, and he has nothing to do with it. So what does he do? Vait apak Haman. Haman restrains himself. The exact same word we saw with Yosef. Vayavoel beto. Now notice, when did Yosef vayit apak? When he saw Binyamin. When did Haman vayit apak? When he saw Binyamin. Mordechai. Mordechai Binyamin. And what does he do? He goes to his house. He calls his family together. Just like Yosef sits on a meal with his family. So there's these parallels that exist. But these, this parallel seems to be a little bit weak, but we're going to see it get stronger. In, um, in the middle, um, this is now subsequently, this is after Yosef reveals himself, and he then gives gifts to his brothers before they go back to collect Yaakov. It says, the chulam natan la'ish chalifot smalot. He gave them all suits, clothing. Ulevinyamin natan shloshmiot kesef, what did he give Binyamin? 300 pieces of silver. Where that's coming from. Five suits. Why is he giving Binyamin five suits of clothes? How many suits do you need? 
again, at the end of this period, this is the beginning of the period. Now, at the end of the period, take a look at Mordechai's crowning, and I mean the pun deliberately, Mordechai's crowning moment. This is when Esther, Laman has been killed, and Esther comes before the king with Mordechai and explains that Mordechai is her cousin, and Mordechai gets elevated to the position, and we have a Mordechai parade. This is not the original Mordechai parade, when everybody was still in secret, and Haman led him through the streets. Haman ain't leading anybody anywhere anymore. Five kinds of clothes that Mordechai wears, fancy clothes. Now, at this point, we're not going to necessarily see the connection, but we're going to see it a little further on. When we get to... Um, to um, the story of Binyamin. And the Binyamin story in Egypt is a tragic story, almost a tragic story. It takes everything to get Binyamin to be able to come down, to get Yaakov to release him and come down. They come down, and Yosef sees him, and Yosef Vayitapak restrains himself. Then they have a meal, and they get drunk. And, ya- and Yaakov and Yosef seats them in birth order, and there's all these strange little hints that he knows who they are. And then he sends them off on their way. Everybody, meaning Binyamin, is not held back, and Shimon is released from prison. They're all sent. And he then tells his steward to hide his cup in Binyamin's bag. We all know the story. They they leave town, and then he sends a different officer after them to go and accuse them and find the cup. And they and he catches up with them. Why would you say such things? God forbid we would do such a thing. God forbid that we would steal something from you. And by the way, this should remind us of yet an earlier story, which is Rachel and the Trafim and Lavan. When we got when he found our money back in our bags, we brought it back. Why would we steal silver or gold? We prove ourselves to be to be honest. Excellently honest. And by the way, this is exactly what Yaakov said, remember? Whoever the Trafimer found, that person will die. And Rachel dies. He said, wherever it's found, that person will die, and the rest of us will be your slave. He says, Yes, you're right, meaning I'm accepting what you're saying, but not exactly. Whoever it's found with will die, and the rest of you will be slaves, but rather whoever it's found with will be my slave, and the rest will go free. And of course, you know what happens. So they all put their saddlebags down, they open them up, and of course, the drama is great. They start looking in Ruvain's and they end up with the last one. They're almost there and they find it in Binyamin's bag. What do they do? They tear their clothes. They tear their clothes. Now, by the way, they tore their clothes is an interesting little twist within Breshit. Because if you remember, when they threw Yosef in the pit, what did they do? They took his garment. They dipped it in blood, goat's blood, sent it to Yaakov, and said, do you recognize it? What did Yaakov do? Yaakov simlotav. 
There seems to be a midah keneged midah. You caused father to tear his clothes because of his young son who he thought was gone. Now you're going to tear your clothes because you think the next one of those is now going to be gone. What um, last bit from Breshit is going even further back. When Yaakov is in his house growing up, and he steals the bracha from Esav. And Esav comes to father for the bracha, and father gets all worried and concerned because he realizes what happened. The guy who came here before you with the food got, got the bracha, he gets the bracha. What does Esav do when he hears it? He gives a very big, bitter cry. Now, notice all the pieces here. What's actually happening in the family? Yaakov himself has caused his own brother to cry terribly. Yaakov then, and again, in, in uh, having to do with disguise, Yaakov is now the victim of a disguise, and his sons cause him to tear his clothes. And then what happens? Yosef is playing possum, and nobody knows who he is, and the brothers have to tear Kriya for Binyamin. It's going around. Um, look what happens when Mordechai hears about the decree. It all comes home. When Mordechai hears about the decree in Shushan, Mordechai yadad kol asher nasam, vayikra Mordechai gadav ayobar sak vayifer. Mordechai tears his clothes. Benjamin tears his clothes. And he puts on sackcloth and ashes. Vayitzei betochayir. He goes out in the streets of the city. Vayizak zakang dolam mara. He gives a loud, bitter cry. Esav did. Now this could all look like, okay, so things like that happen. Watch what the Midrash does here. Start with Vayitapak. Remember we talked about Yosef restraining himself and not crying after he cried a little bit, coming back out, restraining himself and not showing emotion with the whole Binyamin piece. Rabbanan Amri Siman Levanav. The Rabbanan say this Restraint was a siman to the children, to the next generation. Generations down the pike. Just like Yosef restrained himself and didn't show emotion around Binyamin, similarly Haman, it's wild because Haman now is playing the role of Yosef. Haman will restrain himself in the presence of Mordechai who was a Binyamin. How was Yosef calmed down? They had a meal. Took his mind off it. And that's also how Mordechai got his peace of mind. Why? What happened later that the next day? Haman went to a party. There's food at the party. And that's where Haman ultimately found his end. Now, when Yosef is sitting with his brothers. He gives Binyamin more stuff. This is before he reveals himself. He gives Binyamin more stuff than the other brothers, which, by the way, if you think about it, is a terrible idea. Yosef ended up where he was because father favored him, and now he's favoring Binyamin. Binyamin Siman Levanav. So how does the Midrash read it? Binyamin is an indicator for the future. 
כשם שנטל בנימין מיוסף אחד, משינוי יותר מכל אחד, just like בנימין got more stuff than the other brothers, כך אסתר שהייתה בת בנו, אסתר is after all בנימין's granddaughter, great 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 granddaughter, נשתנה לטוב בקבלת מתנות משאר נשים. Meaning, when she was in the palace, Hegai gave her the best stuff. In other words, to be Binyamin means to be favored. But that's not always true. Often that was the opposite. Look at what happened in Pilagash Pegivah. But the point here is that the, the Esther story, and I'm not going to use a new term here, is redeeming, is completing, is closing the circle of Sefer Breshit. That all of these things that get started in Breshit and are left open, Binyamin Zaev Yitraf. Who is it? Who is it that Binyamin's going to attack and save us from? That Yosef's interaction with Binyamin never gets resolved. Yaakov causing Esav to cry, and then Yaakov having to tear his clothes, and the brother having to tear his clothes. Tear clothes. Where does that get resolved? Chazal say it all gets resolved in Megillah Esther. That's when all of this comes to an end. But all the circles of Rishid come to an end. After Yosef reveals himself and the brothers are going to go home to pick up Yaakov, he gives them gifts. He gives them suits and he gives Binyamin five suits. Remember we said, why five suits? Imagine Yosef suffered from extra clothing, the Keton the, Pasin. The, why would he do this. Right? The Amarav Marsami, Amarav Hamaragui, Amarav, famous statement of Rav, Bishvil Nishkal, Shnei Slaim, Milach, Yosef Yaakov, Yosef Misharachad, Gal Devar, Yadu, Avotain, and Mitzrayim. We ended up as slaves in Mitzrayim because of the little favoritism that Yaakov showed Yosef in giving him that coat. Why would Yosef do the same thing? Amarav Ibn Yomim Ben Yafet, Remez Ramazlo. That. Yosef was giving a hint to Binyamin. You know, I'm giving you five clothes. Ramazlo shatid ben latzeit mimenu sheitzeim l'fnei melech chamishal v'ushem malchut. You're going to have a descendant who's going to walk proudly, march proudly in front of the king with five special garments. Umorachay atzav l'fnei melech. Notice what we do with the tearing of the clothes. The midrash says, Amar lemakadosh baruch hu. Source fourteen. Atem garamtem likruei begadim likroa bigdei avichem. You caused your father to tear his clothes for nothing when you made him think Yosef was dead. Similarly, you're going to tear for nothing. Binyamin is really not going to be in trouble. You'll tear anyways. And Watch what happens. All of the members of Am Yisrael, the Hainu, his brothers, tore because of Binyamin. And now it's clo- the circle gets closed when Mordechai, at the end of this period, tears his clothes on behalf of all of Am Yisrael in Megillat Esther. We come to, to, to the end. This piece. The Midrash, famous Midrash in Breshid Rabbah, I'll just summarize it, says, when Esau gave the, big, gave the big cry, if anybody says that God overlooks things, Anybody who says, God, and let things go, God will let you go. He's very, very patient, but then he collects. He, Yaakov, caused his own brother to give a big cry. Where was the payback? In Shushan, 
when Esav's descendant causes Binyamin, God's Yaakov's descendant, Mordechai, to give a big cry. Um, we're going to, one more thing I want to show you, and then just a comment to bring it together. The Midrash of Reshid Rabbah parallels the story of Yosef and Mrs. Potiphar with the story of, of Mordechai. I'm taught, I've talked about this in the past in the context of why Mordechai didn't bow down. But the Midrash goes further. Just like Yosef has the king's ring, Mordechai gets the king's ring. Just like Yosef has all of these fancy clothes, Mordechai has all these fancy clothes. Just like Mordechai, just like Yosef rides in the chariot of the king, similarly, uh, same thing happens with, you know, with Mordechai. He's ridden on the horse. And just like, um, like there's a cry of Avrech when Yosef comes out, there's a cry, Kachayaselaish, that Haman gives when Mordechai comes out. The Midrash in so many ways, and you can see one last example here in Source 19, identifies themes that course through Breshit, mainly from Yaakov on, as finding their conclusion, their resolution, if you will, in the story of Megillat Esther. And I believe that what the Midrash is, the point that the Midrash is trying to make is that Megillat Esther the story of Esther and the period of Esther is the conclusion of a historic epoch, which really starts with Abraham, but starts really with Yaakov. That the beginning and the formation of our nation as a nation that has the direct and and clear and, and explicit interaction with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that period of youth, that period of adolescence, whatever you might want to call it in our nation's history, comes to a close in Megillat Esther when God finally goes behind the curtain and operates from then on throughout history from behind the curtain. And as such, the story of Megillat Esther carries with it all sorts of closings and resolutions to stories that get begun during the period of Breshit, something which I believe Chazal were very sensitive to, and as such, in many Midrashim, many more than we have on these source sheets, in many Midrashim, made that connection. And that's why they say that just like the, the Esther is called Ayelat HaShachar, because just like Shachar is the end of the night, similarly, Esther is Sof Kol HaNisim. It's an end of that period when all of these things are resolved.